Hello and welcome to our CM Murray podcast, uh, which might be one of the first ones of 2021. With me today, I have got two of my colleagues. I've got Elizabeth McKenemy, who is a senior consultant with CM Murray, specialising in employment and partnership law, and in particular, uh, litigation between employers, employees, partners and firms. And also Wanu Sanda, an associate with CM Murray, also specialising in employment and partnership law, and also particularly interested in those contentious issues. And I am Sarah Chilton. I'm one of the partners at CM Murray. So the topic for today's podcast is vaccines. Obviously, this is something that has been hugely in the news because of the significant relevance of its potential ability to return everyone to what people hope is a bit of a new normal or an old normal, probably as the case may be, with regard to the COVID pandemic. But there are lots of questions for employers about vaccines. Um, which we have been seeing. And perhaps at the moment, certainly in the UK, these are not quite so urgent because a lot of people don't have any choice as to whether or not they get the vaccine because the government, at least in the UK, are rolling it out in order of priority groups. And those priority groups are based on age and underlying conditions. But that may change either when it becomes more available within the public from the NHS or when it becomes privately available. So there's lots of issues that may affect employers and that's what we're going to discuss today. Um, so uh, enough from me, I'm gonna hand over to Elizabeth to tell us a little bit about vaccines and what sort of issues some employers might be facing. Uh, hello, so um, I thought it might be interesting to take a quick look back at the first legislation in England regarding vaccination. This was the British Vaccination Act of 1840. And between 1840 and 1853, there were several vaccination acts, which ultimately made the vaccination compulsory. In 1853, a penalty of £1 was introduced for not vaccinating children. Uh, that's equivalent to £1,200 today. These laws were a political innovation that extended government powers into areas of traditional civil liberties. Anti-vaccination leagues immediately challenged law, these laws as a violation of civil liberties. In 1898, vaccination law was amended to allow exemptions based on conscience, which introduced the concept of conscientious objector into English law. Now we'll be turning to look at the legal position today and whether employers can legally require staff to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Following on from the 1898 Act, vaccination in England is not mandatory and it's not yet commercially available, as Sarah mentioned, and it is being rolled out broadly based on age and comorbidities with healthcare workers and those over 80 in front of the queue. Government has sidestepped questions regarding the provision of a COVID vaccine passport. Although Michael Gove has stated it is up to individual businesses whether they allow entry to their premises to customers without the vaccine. As businesses struggle to stay afloat in such turbulent times, the vaccine is being seen as the panacea to a return to the old normal. Naturally, it is therefore front and central in the contemplation of employers many hope to be able to bring their staff back to work in the spring and many are contemplating whether they can make vaccination a mandatory requirement for staff. 
There are numerous issues to take into consideration when determining whether an employee may legally require employees to be vaccinated. Perhaps the most appropriate starting point is the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, which obliged employers to take reasonable steps to reduce any workplace risks in accordance with the Act. In addition to this statutory duty, all employers have a common law duty to take reasonable care for the safety of their employees. They have a duty to see that reasonable care is taken to provide them with a safe place of work, safe tools and equipment, and a safe system of working. Therefore, we consider it would be prudent to consider the vaccine when undertaking COVID-19 risk assessments, including the measures that might be taken where an employee decides not to get vaccinated. It's long been the case that many healthcare workers are required to have certain vaccines, especially those who have regular clinical contact with patients and are at risk of contracting diseases from their patients and or passing diseases onto the patients. Healthcare professionals have a duty of care towards their patient, which includes taking precautions to protect them from communicable diseases. Therefore, a common requirement of employment of healthcare workers is provision of evidence of immunisation against certain diseases. It has been reported on the news that some care homes are making the vaccine mandatory for their carers. And this is no doubt due to the horrendous transmission rates of COVID-19 and resultant deaths in care homes. And it is, and it being relatively straightforward in the circumstances to show by way of risk assessment that being vaccinated is the most reasonably practicable way of mitigating the risk of COVID-19, where up close and personal care is the main purpose of the role. However, mandating vaccination as a health and safety requirement for people who are not healthcare workers or other high-risk workers, such as laboratory staff, is not straightforward, especially when currently scientists are uncertain whether being vaccinated prevents a person from transmitting the virus to others or whether it simply suppresses symptoms in the carrier. At the very least, encouraging vaccine uptake among staff and, where appropriate, providing information to a system in making an informed decision would seem sensible. ACAS has provided guidance on the subject and considers that employers should support staff in having the coronavirus vaccine, but state that they cannot force staff to be vaccinated. Clearly, this is correct. Employers cannot force anyone to have the vaccine. However, there could be consequences for employees refusing to have the vaccine, depending on the particular circumstances. ACAS suggests that employers may find it useful to talk with their staff about the vaccine and share the benefits of being vaccinated. Whilst this is just ACAS guidance, it is possibly indicative of the Employment Tribunal's stance on the matter, should a claim be brought before them which deals with the issue. One interesting point I saw in the press is that there are some companies who've decided to give people free time off to get the vaccine, which I think is really interesting because then there'll be the question of, well, can I get the same free time off for my flu vaccine or for any other sort of vaccine that I want to have? So I think that's a whole other issue is that once an employer decides what their policy is, are they getting themselves actually into trouble by not thinking about if that's you know applicable across the vaccine spectrum i think it's timsons have said that everybody can get paid time off to go to their vaccination appointment anyway yeah i think i think uh, um, it's an interesting point um and that i think it, it would be really helpful and when when employers are considering this that they are actually put together clear policies in yeah. relation yeah. to covid-19 and distinguish it potentially from their flu jab yeah. because the um, the consequences are seem significantly greater for the yeah. wider population in relation to COVID-19 than they do with the flu. Yeah, definitely. 
generally employers must be cautious about treating the vaccine as a mechanism to remove other COVID-19 measures. Although widespread vaccination may eventually reduce the measures required to make a workplace COVID-19 secure, as the currently approved vaccines are not 100% effective, and there may be both employees, patients, clients and customers who cannot receive the available vaccines, employers should be cautious when scaling back any protective measures. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, and I suppose that brings on the next question that a lot of employers have. And you've mentioned the ACAS guidance and the fact that they can't obviously force someone to have the vaccine. Yes, that's correct. But there may be consequences if people refuse. Um, and so one who, thinking about those possible consequences, I think we get into territory of whether or not it's a reasonable thing to expect an employee to accept a vaccine for the purposes of their job or at the request of their employer. Um, what kind of options are open to employers if they want everyone to have the vaccine? Can they sack everyone who doesn't, for example? So as with most of these things, it's going to depend on the circumstances and the type of workplace um, that you're talking about. Now, most employers will uh, want to rely on any policies that they may have, but also employers could potentially rely on the implied duties that employees have to obey uh, lawful and reasonable instructions. And then the question becomes, well, is it a lawful and reasonable instruction to require that employees in your workplace um, take the vaccine if that's going to be a potential protective measure for the rest of the workforce if everybody does it? Um, now, technically, um, you know, if an employee doesn't follow a reasonable instruction, um, the employer could potentially dismiss but then there'd be the question of whether or not a dismissal was fair and, and several things would be taken into account as I said the talk the, the sort of workplace and so if you're dealing with a medical professional for example um, who is required to be vaccinated because they're dealing with very vulnerable individuals then there's going to be more of a chance that the employer could justify their instruction as being reasonable for that employee to continue their work just because of the high risk nature of what they do. Um, however, for more workers in, in the workplace who are probably based in offices um, or in other, other workplace settings, it may be a much harder to show that it's a reasonable instruction, um, particularly if you're looking at um, how workplaces, particularly office workspaces, are set up. So a lot of recently, a lot of workspaces are set up in um, less modular units and more open space units. And there has been um, some reports to say that that has increased the likelihood um, of spreading COVID. And is it reasonable in those circumstances? for an employer to insist on vaccinations. Especially where there will be some circumstances where the employer could take other less intrusive measures to reduce the risk to their workforce. For example, by changing the setup of the office, providing more space for employees to reduce the risk of transmission and other potential measures that may have come up in their risk assessments. There's also the uh, consideration of uh, employees who may have concerns as to why they shouldn't get vaccinated. They may have concerns because of the side effects, for example, um, some of which have been reported. 
Um, some may have underlying disabilities, which I think we're going to go and speak on about later. And there's also the fact that actually um, forcing a vaccination is quite an intrusive procedure. And so is it reasonable, again, for an employer within that context to require an employee to follow that instruction? And I think you know, an employment tribunal, essentially, when considering whether or not an employer a reasonable decision to dismiss for failure to follow such an instruction would take all of that into account. They'd be taking into account the settings, the workplace setting, the individual's viewpoints, um, and also the process as well that the employer went through before the dismissal. So as uh, Elizabeth mentioned earlier, um, ACAS have suggested that employers should be consulting with employees and if an employer hasn't made efforts to consult and inform, then that's not going to go in their favour when showing that they have been reasonable in their instructions. Um, so there are quite a lot of things to take into account. Um, and there's also a second aspect that employers may consider, that some employers may consider that they're not going to re rely on implied terms and that they are going to seek to make this an express contractual requirement that the vaccine must be had, maybe again because of the person's, the, the type of work that the person does um, or the requirement for the person to travel um, and traveling may make them more susceptible to um, catching COVID and therefore the employer may think that that's a suitable measure in order to protect the workforce. Um, and so an employer may think that one option open to them is, is to uh, impose unilaterally a change into the workers contract. Um, now again that is kind of fraught with so many um, difficulties because ordinarily it would be unilateral and without the agreement and the consent of the um, employee the employer could get themselves um, into difficulties with the uh, employee potentially arguing uh, that they want to resign um, and claim constructive dismissal for example because of the unilateral change that they did not agree to um, and another option is for the employer to um, seek to dismiss and re-engage on new terms and make it a condition of the new employment that the uh, employee get vaccinated. Again, carrying risk because there's still the potential for the employee to claim um, unfair dismissal. And I just caveat there, of course, for the employee to claim unfair dismissal, they'll need to have their two year service. Unless they could show that the dismissal was for an automatically unfair reason, such as taking action over a health and safety issue. What we say to our uh, clients is they should be following the, that, the guidance from ACAS. And if they do want to be looking at making changes to contracts or requiring um, a mandatory vaccination when the vaccination becomes available, they'll need to be doing so by consultation with their employees, at least as a first step. Yeah, and I think another tension that you might find is that employees asked to have the vaccine might say, well, I can actually do my job from home. So if you don't want me in there unvaccinated, I'll just continue to work from home. And of course, that will potentially cause another sort of set of tensions. And we've already seen some tensions as between employers who want their employees in the workplace and employees who don't want to go in. And up until now, a lot of that has been employees having safety concerns, but in a way that that creates another debate between employers and employees because if the employee has reluctant been reluctant because of safety reasons but then is reluctant to have the vaccine they may still have safety concerns around the vaccine but 
you know, what the employer's motivation for the vaccine will be is the safety of others in the business. So, yeah, I think there may be some difficult issues there. And, and as you say, I think consultation is going to be really key so that employees understand the reason that the employer wants people in the office, for example, wants people to be protected with the vaccine, um, you know, why that particular role might require it, etc. So, yeah, challenges ahead, I think. Um, and you sort of touched on this one. I think there's a number of possible issues arising from discrimination law as well in relation to the vaccine um, and you know already employers who are making their workplaces COVID secure which is the requirement for any employers who've got people actually in the building need to be mindful of the particular needs of those employees with protected characteristics who may for example have comorbidities or may for other reasons be more at risk from um, the effects of coronavirus if they contract it than others and so employers have already been having to grapple with those sorts of issues and you know they're not able to just treat everyone necessarily the same in the sense that some people may be more at risk than others and they've had to adapt to that whether that's been to allow people who have to shield to take a home-based role and potentially you know change their duty slightly or whether or not in fact that's not reasonable in the particular circumstances or whether it's been to allow people to come in on a rota system so that more vulnerable members of staff don't have to be in with uh, members of staff who, for example, have more customer facing roles. So there's already that aspect of it that employers have been dealing with and most employers I think have been dealing with that really well since the start of the pandemic. But the vaccine and any requirements to have it or requests to have it or treatment of people differently, whether they've had it or not, brings a whole new host of, of questions for employers I mean, some obvious examples spring to mind as related to age and disability. So for a start right now, for example, only older workers will initially have the vaccine. So, you know, if you make it a requirement of workers to have the vaccine before they return to the office, for example, then you're going to be in a situation come um, February, for example, where, you know, people who are not yet at typical retirement age, but are still working, some of those people will start to have the vaccine and they will maybe be able to come back quicker than people in the under 50 category with no underlying conditions who will be the last to get the vaccine. So employers run the risk of, you know, potentially having a situation where they're indirectly discriminating against people. Um, you know, they, they think it's justified because it's, well, you've had the vaccine or you haven't had the vaccine, but actually only people in a certain age group can have had the vaccine and only, people in another certain age group will not, will not have had the vaccine. So there's certainly a discrimination issue there. And um, obviously age discrimination can be justified. So provided the employer has gone through a proper thought process, consultation process, and has got a legitimate reason for their decisions. So um, it's uh, to objectively justify something, you have to have a legitimate um, aim, so a legitimate business aim, and you need to deal with that proportionately. So as long as your means to achieve your aim are proportionate, and that aim will obviously be the safety of all your staff, then you know it may be okay, but employers really need to apply their minds to this. And similarly, um, disability will be relevant. So a lot of people with underlying conditions will probably fall into two categories. So there'll be those with under underlying conditions where their condition actually might prohibit them having the vaccine or they might be advised for safety reasons not to have it. But there will be the other category of people who to be exposed to someone who's unvaccinated will be an increased risk to them because of, as we mentioned already, the existing comorbidities that make them more susceptible to severe illness as a result of COVID. 
And again, employers will need to just consider that really carefully and make sure that they are not treating a group of people with a protected characteristic adversely compared to others, or they're not treating an individual um, adversely because that individual is disabled um, and can't have the vaccine. Uh, the other issue is around pregnant women in the workplace or people who are thinking about becoming pregnant. The rules have recently changed and the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation have said that pregnant women can have the vaccine, but only if the risks of getting coronavirus outweigh the risks of the vaccine. So there will still be a lot of pregnant women who either won't want to have it for safety concerns or simply won't be offered it. And obviously to exclude them from the workplace may be disproportionate and may amount to discrimination. But, you know, in certain circumstances, it may be a legitimate safety measure. So, again, employers will just need to really think carefully about it. And I think what we would say to employers is these all really relate to health and safety on the basis of health and often on the basis of health of individual members of staff. And very few employers, unless they themselves are also experts and, and no employment lawyers, are capable of making that judgment without input from a medical expert. And so we would always encourage employers to seek occupational health input um, from uh, doctors and specialists in this field who can do individualised risk assessments as to whether or not someone, for example, should still be going to work even with unvaccinated colleagues or whether or not, in fact, the risk to them is too great. That's quite an interesting point because obviously, you know, normally when you're looking at disabilities or people with health issues, normally that's the minority and a very small number of people in the workplace and therefore it's a manageable proposition to be looking at you know occupational health and obtaining medical reports yeah. but you know obviously an issue with this is that there could be significantly large numbers of people um who are affected mm -hmm. um, and the risk is that you know it's invisible um and that's going to put quite a strain on um employers and, and increased costs that's right and I think one of the things we looked at a lot when we were looking at getting people back into the office over summer when that looked possible and the world looked like a more optimistic place was around you know the extent to which occupational health were going to fulfill that role and and actually when you looked at a lot of employers found that they had a lot more employees than they would have ever kind of put in the category of an employee with a disability who fell into the category of an employee with an underlying condition that made them at an increased risk from coronavirus and so, yeah, I think there is possible more widespread input required. But of course, you know, employers can look at things like contracting with an occupational health specialist for a week and actually having them run like a clinic, which is going to be a slightly more cost effective way of doing it. But it's certainly not going to be easy. But I do think employers, whatever their decision will be upon who can and can't come to work or whether or not they want people to have a vaccine or not, so much of that is based on those employees' individual health situations, and um, whether that's because they're not having the vaccine because they've got a condition that says that they shouldn't, or they might be pregnant, or whether or not they've had the vaccine but don't want to be in the office with people who haven't had the vaccine, or whether they haven't had it because they can't have it and they don't want to be in the office. Uh, I think if an employer has medical input and makes their decision in view of real good medical information and assistance and guidance from a doctor, the, the decision that they will make will be more likely to be justifiable to an employment tribunal. Um, that won't be obviously a kind of get out of deal free card for, every, for everyone, but certainly something to consider. Um, and um, 
the, the final sort of discrimination issue that I think probably is going to be the most common is around whether or not anti-vax as a movement is capable of being a philosophical belief which is protectable under the law. So um, an employee, if they were seeking to say that their belief in anti-vax and therefore was the reason for them not having a vaccination, irrespective of what the employer might want them to do, was capable of protection, what they'd effectively try to say is, I cannot be treated less favorably because I'm refusing to have my vaccine, because the reason I'm refusing to have my vaccine is because I have a belief in a set of philosophical beliefs, i.e. anti-vaccination. And they need to show that the belief they have is genuinely held, cogent, serious, and worthy of respect in a democratic society. And um, the previous cases we've seen in this field have ranged from a lot of different um, potential beliefs that have been sought by employees to be recognized in this way. I think most recently people probably remember that um, there was a case where uh, someone was vegan and succeeded in establishing that their belief did fall into this protectable category. Um, they did uh, really change their life and the way that they led their life um, to be a vegan was quite dramatic compared to what some of us might think. Um, you know, for example, it was reported that he didn't take certain forms of public transport because of the impact that might have on um, living uh, insects and animals who might come into the path of a bus, for example. So he, re you know, he, his life was dramatically altered as a result of his veganism. There may also be issues with people objecting to some of the ingredients in vaccines. At the moment, we don't seem to have much information about the ingredients potentially for intellectual property reasons, but um, it may be in future that there are certain revelations about ingredients in vaccines where people are either allergic to them or for religious or moral reasons, don't want to accept those ingredients. Um, and that may also um, inform people's decisions. Um, and the reason why this is all really important for employers to bear in mind is that if an employee refuses to be vaccinated, so if you can get over one who's hurdle of it's a reasonable instruction, and it would be reasonable in other circumstances to terminate someone if they didn't have the vaccine. If in fact the reason someone has refused to have a vaccine is because they have an underlying condition which amounts to a disability, you know, you may refuse the vaccine because you're pregnant, you may refuse the vaccine because of religion and belief, you may refuse the vaccine because you've got a serious medical condition which prevents you from having it. And if those things are all protected um, characteristics under discrimination law, and then you are subject to disciplinary action or dismissed because you refused, your employer would potentially have a discrimination claim on uh, their hands because there may be a case to say, well, that dismissal or disciplinary action against the employee was in fact discrimination um, as a result of those protected conditions, those underlying protected characteristics. Um, and discrimination claims are uncapped, so em employers really do need to do their homework on this and think through. Um, there is a sort of side issue which arises from this, and that's actually people being harassed or bullied by employees in the workplace because they haven't had the vaccine or because they have had the vaccine. And obviously people do have quite divisive views on this topic, which I suppose brings us on to another topic, Wanu, which is around you know, keeping that data secure and protecting people's privacy around who has and hasn't had the vaccine and whether or not there's considerations employers will need to think about there. Yeah, and also considerations in relation to um, human rights. Employers will want to consider how um, an individual's right to um, 
private and family life affects how they deal with individuals who refuse to take the vaccine. Um, and it would impact um, any assessment by an employment tribunal um, because it's, it is a fundamental um, right, a decision to uh, have a vaccination, a decision to go under a medical procedure has long been, been held to engage your Article 8 rights for respect for private and family life. Um, and, you know, this could be considered an invasion of that. However, it is one of those rights that they can sort of balance it against um, other interests. So if, they're, uh, if it's necessary in a democratic society, in the interest of public safety or it's in the economic well-being of the country and so um, an employer will want to consider how that applies in the context of the way that they treat their em employees whether or not they discipline for certain actions to refuse to take the vaccine if it's mandated um, or whether or not to dismiss because these are likely to be arguments that employees will want to raise um, should they seek to bring claims um, after a dismissal or detrimental act. And as you mentioned, Sarah, there's also the data protection issues that are engaged. Um, so, you know, whether or not somebody uh, takes a vaccine, um, even potentially what their what their potential views are on it, are all potential uh, personal data in relation to them. Um, and an employer who is collecting that data will therefore have various um, obligations in terms of dealing with that data. And, and because it's medical data, it's, it's actually categorized as special category personal data. And therefore there needs to be justification for actually uh, processing the data. So you have to identify the conditions for processing under the GDPR or now the UK GDPR as to why um, this is necessary for you to process the data. So before even undergoing any work-wide project, um, the company would need to start looking at um, undergoing some sort of data assessment to see what sort of data they would be collecting about individuals, how they would seek to secure that data, whether or not it's legitimate and it can be justified. And so there's this just additional extra layer if, if an employer was going to go down this route of seeking to um, make it mandatory for uh, their employees to have the vaccine. Uh, thanks, Moni. And of course, there is another issue, which is whether or not there's any risk for employers in respect of personal injury. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is that something employers need to be cautious of? Yes, well, I think as people are aware, um, as was reported in the first week of the Pfizer vaccine rollout, um, two individuals suffered anaphylaxis. And um, it was then said that uh, individuals who did suffer from severe allergic reactions weren't suitable uh, candidates for the Pfizer vaccine, and they've been waiting for uh, the rollout of the um, Oxford University AstraZeneca vaccine, even if they were high-risk individuals. And I am personally aware of healthcare workers who do suffer from severe reactions and haven't been able to have that vaccination. Um, so obviously it is possible for individuals to have ad adverse reactions to vaccines. Therefore, there is a risk, albeit a small one, of an employee having an adverse reaction to the vaccine. Um, and if the employer has mandated that vaccine, any effect that the employee uh, may suffer, they may be able to bring personal injury proceedings against their employer in respect of that. Now, we haven't, as far as I'm aware, outside of the initial two reactions from Pfizer, 
been made aware of any other other severe adverse reactions but of course there could have been less severe reactions that aren't being reported um so that's just an area that also needs to be considered and contemplated when considering um imposing or attempting to impose a mandatory vaccine policy at work if you just like to sort of sum up and see where we're at and you know as we've uh, discussed today um an employer considering imposing a mandatory vaccination policy must tread extremely carefully. And, you know, in the first instance, to avoid upset and potential claims being brought, uh, discussions should be held with the employees and or any relevant union about the desire to activate such a policy and the reasons why it is considered necessary, providing an opportunity for the employees to have their say on the matter. Any such discussions should also deal with any possible consequences for failure to comply with the policy. A blanket approach is not recommended where employees hold different roles and have differing levels of risk of contracting or passing on the virus in the workplace. And care must be taken to ensure that any such policy is not discriminatory. And great care must be taken when holding and processing any data relevant to the vaccination of employees. And where employers end up disciplining or dismissing staff for failing to follow an instruction to vaccinate, employers must also remember that aside from showing that the instruction was reasonable in the circumstances, they need to show a fair dismissal process was followed. It would be sensible for employers to carefully consider alternatives to dismissal, such as relocating staff to lower risk roles or allowing home working. As is clear from the daily Downing Street briefings, we're in a constantly evolving situation. However, I consider it highly unlikely that the English government would likely make vaccination mandatory unless matters significantly deteriorate. Historically, studies of mandatory vaccination programmes in European countries have not found a clear link between vaccine uptake and mandatory vaccination. Mm. And experts argue that better organisation of healthcare systems and strong communication strategies may prove more effective. Similarly, I consider that communication education is absolutely critical in obtaining as high an uptake of the vaccine as possible among staff. And consider that this must be, as we've discussed, the first strategy that should be adopted by employers in relation to taking the vaccine. Um, I think that brings us, I mean, we could talk for ages on this topic because there's loads of stuff to say. And as I say, it does bring about some really interesting legal topics and is not really a debate that we've ever had to have before as employment lawyers we've never been in a situation where there's been such a um you know a, a health situation which has had such an impact on the way people work and um, for such a long period of time and on society in general um which again we know will have an impact on employers in terms of how you get people back into the workplace we will be following this yeah, as it develops really closely. As we said at the beginning, you know, people can't privately access the vaccine and no one can control when they get it at the moment. And um, so the employers are not quite, you know, coming to start focus quite yet, but they will do in time. And obviously we're very happy to help with any specific questions um, and we'll be giving you updates on this as it develops. Um, so thank you very much for listening. If you want any other information, there's lots of things on our website relating to COVID-19 in particular in relation to um, working from home, health and safety issues, returning to the office, um, and we put up all our resources there. We've got some other podcasts where we've spoken about issues as well, so do have a search for those on the CMRI podcast channel. And if you have any specific questions, then please do get in touch with any of the three of us about this topic. 
And please do rate, review and share this podcast if you find interesting so that other people can also listen to what we've had to say. So thanks so much for listening and we will speak to you again soon.